Welcome to For Instance Podcast, the tech podcast where we spin out endless supposals about cloud, AI, the edge, and more. We sift through current events, opine about what it means for practitioners and leaders, and interview industry observers about where different technologies are taking us. If you like digging into the story behind the story in tech, this podcast is for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to the For Instance podcast and the special edition featuring Microsoft Ignite. I'm Sarah Music, and as always, I'm with my co-host, Sarbjeet Jawal. Hey, Sarbjeet. Hey, Sarah. How are you doing? I'm well. How are you? Good, good. Busy two weeks. Very. Um, it's It was crazy busy. Lost. Yeah. And between yesterday and today, we're recording November uh, 16th, uh, Thursday, and so Microsoft Ignite, you know, day two of the event. And so at this point, both keynotes have have been uh, released into the wild with all the attendant news. So, you know, I've been watching and pay atten- paying attention. But Sarbjeet, I know you've been interacting with the analyst community quite a bit and have been making observations of your own. So we'd love to hear today what you're seeing in uh in microsoft land it was highly anticipated event you know from three top cloud providers this is microsoft's the event Mm -hmm. and um bunch of people on site there and a lot more virtual okay my take is this that it's a lot of incrementalism i call it in the announcements but with one exception they announced a new chip you know they are getting into chips business you know, Microsoft yes. is chipping in into chip chips, I guess. Uh, I think that is because the discussion has moved from training the models to the inference. And everybody, you know, who understands the computing at certain depth level, they understand that we will use a lot more compute during inference than the training. So training will be like less frequent, but like a batch job kind of thing, right? But mm-hmm. inference is all the time. To improve the economics of AI, you have to improve the economics of inference. And for that, you need your own native chips as a cloud provider. And AWS has been doing that for seven, eight years now. Their chips, right? Right, with Graviton. Um, Graviton yeah, yeah, chip. different application from a general purpose workload perspective. But yes, it uh, yeah. drive, down, drive down sort of your Cost. unit costs yes. by owning the silicon as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I think... Um, that is a maybe it's a, just a safe bet. They don't need to pour pour like too much money into it, or or it'll be a side gig going on. But they want to say yes, check we have it too, right? Because AWS has it, Google has TPUs. So that was a big that was a big sort of news, I, I believe, from the from the whole event. Besides that, uh, Chat GPT Turbo. Uh, is brought in into the Microsoft world. Uh, so a lot of tooling announcements. AI Studio has been released uh, just before we, we started recording this. I was watching the demo of that and they are showing like how you bring in the data, how you bring in the models, which models you should use. Um, and then whole nine yards, they are giving demos of that. But I, I believe that's a when I was watching that, I was thinking, will 
the in-house, you know, enterprise in-house developers or AI developers use this studio or the ISV kind of ISVs will use it, you know, independent software vendors, like a big, big guys, you know, big companies, startups, uh, which purely focus on software development. My take is that this, that from the history of Microsoft, what they have done in the past, they focus on the in-house developer a lot more than the ISVs. Uh, so I think ISVs will be taken by uh, Amazon AWS more. Uh, they will gravitate towards AWS more because of the sort of ruggedness of their platform and the, and the distribution channels as well, to a certain extent, you know, their marketplace is bigger and their tooling is more geared towards nth degree of automation, if you will, or mm -hmm. very deep developer centric versus here it's like more like a low code AI um, sort of uh, effort. What do you think, actually? I'll, I'll cover some yeah. few items. What, what do you think? You, you listened to the, the keynote as well, I right? I did. Yeah, I, there, were, there were some interesting omissions, some of which had to do with services that we usually hear about from Azure. And, you know, some of that was, I think, just a strategic pivot to really hit hard. Of course, Copilot, who could have missed the Copilot piece, Copilot, Copilot. But given what we were just talking about from the standpoint of chips and silicon, in some ways it's surprising to me that Microsoft hasn't gone down this avenue, kind of to your point, a little sooner. Uh, but having held back as long as they did, I, I think this is a fascinating time for them to be coming in. And it's, it's a very tenuous time in in sort of a full stack engagement, meaning both with the semiconductor companies and the the CSPs, because, you know, as a Microsoft, you have to be careful. You don't want to poke historic partners in the eye with a competitive product too hard. Um, so, you know, like an NVIDIA, you know, with with a Maya, with a Maya GPU, uh, because, of course, you want to own some of that. Um, and so there's Kind of a co-opetition situation there you know an arm chip with this new cobalt offering uh for general purpose workload so an obvious obvious competitor to graviton the tectonic plates in the sort of historic continents that we've been used to in tech are in the process of shifting and it's really fascinating to watch i find it a little un unnerving as somebody who's an interested party but at the same time this is this is typical. This is something that happens in the industry every couple of decades, and so of course, generative AI is is the uh, the catalyst here for that that kind of shifting. Um, does it will it help Microsoft, or is it a box like you said that they check? It, it'll depend. You know, economies of scale are part of it, and so to what extent are they really going to make a full court press? to yeah. make this worth her while we know historically that the cost of processors has been an issue for them because you know they've made announcements so you know essentially delaying the sunsetting of instance families and things like that which is you know a veil veiled way of saying that you know they want to get a little more life out of things before they depreciate those assets um so lot a lot in play 
Um, but it's pretty clear again, to your point that enabling internal developers, even from a low code, no code perspective is something that they're very interested in. So a lot of threads there in the tangled web that, that we're weaving. I think your observations are spot on. It doesn't change much uh, as business-wise for for Microsoft and or, and or their partners very quickly. It won't, won't change much. Uh, Satya Nadella actually came to on CNBC and he spoke to uh, John Ford. And John Ford, you know, being on CNBC, I always ask, oh, how much money you will make from this, you know, and, and how fast, right? How much you will charge for it, right? So I, I thought, uh, I was like trying to analyze the interview, like what answers and questions, right? Both, I think the right question is not how much money, how much money you can charge for it, but how much more of your services you will sell because of this. Mm -hmm. So it's a more, more of a cap, like a, a um, competitive advantage uh, kind of situation versus like, okay, it's, it's another add on you sell for another sort of a honeypot situation, an attraction point as opposed to... Yeah, it's, it's yeah. more of that. And, and then I was talking to Dave Vellante after that that uh, keynote, we compared notes and he said, you know, they're charging $30 per person for for uh, the co-pilot, right? I said, yeah, that's not a lot of money, but but just, just imagine that if they can entice developers to come to them, that's a huge advantage. If, if these... If people see them as the leader, the leader in AI, they will win a lot more cloud business, right? Mm -hmm. and infrastructure business and, and other, you know, they have good database story with SQL Server. They have, you know, their CRM, they have SaaS, you know, of course they have their productivity software, which also has its own co-pilot. So I think the co-pilot story is very muddy very confusing as a layman i think like oh my god oh you have copilot for office oh you have copilot as for a developer oh oh yeah um, copilot for github <laughs> github github yeah. is your company as well microsoft like it's your company and then they have copilot they're charging 39 dollars now for the enterprise they also actually did an event last week so did ai which is open AI, which is also Microsoft company in many ways, you know, they invested a bunch of money in them. They are the biggest shareholder there. So it's Microsoft everywhere. In when when you see all these events, which happened in last, you know, about 15 days, <laughs> they're, they're surrounding you from all angles, but it confuses the heck out of the people like, hey, how many co-pilots I need? It's like streaming, streaming, media streaming, like, oh, we have Hulu, we have Netflix, we have we want to watch playing yeah. how many i need right so mm -hmm. it's a there'll be a sprawl of uh, co-pilots and of course everybody else is building co-pilots for their own stuff I, I think at some point we will we will need some arrangement like um i like the the user experience of uh fire tv or google tv you can call apple tv so i can just speak to my remote and say hey launch this blah show on netflix or mm -hmm. launch this sh uh, show on youtube so it, it knows which agent to pick you know or which so there's only one co-pilot if you will that you know one interface but then it behind the scenes goes there even though i'm paying those different parties 
So somehow we have to simplify this co-pilot mess. It's going to be mess in the short term, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But- and also another interesting thing was Satya mentioned that we, he said we love SLMs, which he never explained what full form is. It, I think it's small language models. So large language models are there. So after that, he said, oh, yeah, there are only, only 2 billion parameters uh, range, you know, then, then I interpret from that, that he's talking about the small language models. Mm-hmm. So I think that that is true that the, the smaller models w- will be trained by enterprises and or verticals like healthcare models. That's right. Vertical yeah. specific models tend to be in that yeah, two to five smaller. billion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And for that, you need less compute to train, less compute to uh, inference as well. So again, I think uh, it's very fast changing, changing um, sort of domain, if you will. And the the only way the buyers or the CIOs, CTOs, uh, and or individual practitioners can make sense of it is start learning about the terminology, the sort of jargon around it, you know, RAG, what is RAG and um, fine tuning, what does that mean? So then double click on those things and say like, what are the basic concepts, right? How do I bring in my data and marry that with the large language models from these two, three big providers? I think that's where we enterprises and or individuals can can move the needle right now. Mm-hmm. Unless I, you're a developer. Developers are reaping the benefit right now. So. Yeah, right. I So you have um, a lot of thoughts well-formed thoughts around systems of record and their role in the cloud and, you know, making sure they're sequestered off in the cloud, proper use of them, improper use. And one of the standouts to me yesterday with the discussion of co-pilots is the fact that there will be connectors for retrieval of data from systems of record. So in other words, soliciting data from your SAP, from your HANA, or from you know, other other places, other databases where you may be delivered an individual record, but data will be, you know, either copied or leaving the system of record to be manipulated by the co-pilot. From a data sovereignty perspective, you know, having left that system of record for use Elsewhere, it begs some really interesting questions that I personally, like as a CISO, would be concerned about. What do you, what do you think? Is that an unnecessary concern? Is that legitimate? No, I, I think it's a matter. I think it's a matter of time. It will happen. Like we will bring in the data through generative AI. The system of record data will be brought into the the knowledge it disperses. You know um, mm-hmm. these. Uh, Generative AI models to give us all that knowledge, and we we want to get the actual knowledge about our business as well, like real data, yeah, right? Insight, so, for sure. I mean, it was a matter of it's a matter of time, and we, we need better tooling around that, better mechanism, better processes, so that we don't end up leaking the data. The data is now just let loose, if you will. So, who has access to what data? Only that person or that entity can get the data. Is it through APIs or? What and then, by the way, multimodality comes into picture as as well. That's a side note which we should talk about. Like that, like you know, like now videos can be fed into 
into these models and of of course pictures and sound and of course text is there so i think i think they're doing the right thing they are they are running ahead of the pack if you will who said that oh, microsoft is the pack you know <laughs> itself <laughs> it's not running ahead of the pack they are the pack uh, I, I, yeah it's a matter of time and by being in front of the the narrative they are making other people look weak, you know, um, AWS and Google Cloud, mm -hmm. they look like, uh, hey, you're not talking about this. These people are, because that question is on the back of our mind. Like, how will I get to that actual data? Yeah. So they are showing some examples. I, the, I Just before we started recording, recording this, I was watching that demo again of um, their um, studio, AI studio. They were showing that there's a semantic search and there's a traditional text-based search, right? The, the the semantic search is based on the the newer sort of um, uh, mechanism which AI uses, um, but the traditional search is based on the keywords, right? So it's the proximity of you know words like an AI. Um, they are using specialized databases behind that. So they were showing that there's a mix of that you can use. I think that that mix makes it possible but having that again identity uh who has access to what you know um that that is a very important part of it so you, you you're right mm -hmm. i think agents agents is the right sort of mechanism so you will have an agent for sap hana or H sap um sap uh, sap's um you know abap apis or S3, S4, whatever their latest releases are, right? So like checking the inventory of a, uh, an item in, in a factory settings um, for, for raw materials or whatever. So yeah, the, I think most of the big ISVs have, will have agents. And on that note, I think we will need some standards around uh, how do you call an agent and what information we need to pass to it. So like we have the REST API, right? Like we used to have a Corva IIOP um, in 90s, like 95, 96, 94 timeframe. We were, I was writing software using Corva at Visa at that point. And then there was a DCOM there as well from Microsoft, you know. We had, then, then we had SOAP com coming from, SOAP standard coming from Microsoft, right? for um, these these integrations and then rest api came from open source and rest became the standard so we need sort of rest kind of standard for ai multimodal ai because rest doesn't it does just deals with text right now right so yeah you can say like oh yeah the the address of a video is text as well so where you get go get the video but I think we, we need better mechanisms or some standards for uh, different ISVs agents to be plugged into co-pilots, which should be fewer co-pilots, not many. Mm -hmm. As we talked about earlier, like we, we don't want to muck around with as individuals, like, oh, I have 20 co-pilots. Like, okay, like, right, I'm exactly. <laughs> right? So we need one interface or maybe, maybe three or four, you know, mm -hmm. not like like tens or hundreds yeah and in that sense the agent is going to be written for you know firstly for the point of abstraction right so you know you're not going to be writing a video 
transcoder for SAP HANA, you know, because it's going to be, yes. you know, transactional data and stuff like that. And so um, it makes a lot more sense from the, the agent standpoint to write those for whatever record or whatever system is going to be doing the gathering. And then on the, you know, on the other side, as the data is being thrown over, uh, limit the, the, the usage in the sense that the way it's going to be interacted with as an endpoint, you know, whether it be for GitHub or whether it be for, you know, there has to be some kind of unifying factor there because you can't reinterpret your use of that data every time you enter a different co-pilot. So the way I interact with that data is going to be different, whether I'm in Microsoft 365 or whether I'm in, you know, if it's a CRM application in Dynamics or if I'm in Power BI, we, you know, that, that wouldn't, that wouldn't um, be very effective. So it'll be interesting to see the extent to which that they, you know, they stitch this together, sort of um, one co-pilot to rule them all to, to throw out a Lord of the Rings reference but yeah i think i think you're right the, the, the if you dig deeper and think like you know like why we're asking these questions like what's behind it i think the the reason is this that we tend to think that we will be talking to machines and not typing stuff which is true that's how we normally interact with other human beings right not type we don't type to each other right you know like it's, it's a lot of extra effort you know uh, a lot of wastage or resources, if you will. So I think one of back of our mind is like, I, I can ask SAP, they're, they're showing that for ex execs, you know, like, hey, did the portal is there, show me the, the results for next month, you know, how much sales we have made, you know, like people are like, all these execs are looking at the portals most of the time, like, what's the situation, which product is doing good and which product is lagging behind in sales and, you know, what, how many open cases are, if you are, VP of engineering, you know, and for a few products, how many open bugs are on this product versus that, you know, that kind of stuff, right? So you should be able to just say, like, while you're driving a car, tell me what, what's the situation with product AI, right? So uh, how many priority A, priority one bugs are there, for example. So I, I think that that is a sort of very viable use case. And if we notice that the fundamentals don't change. So the way we store the data, the actual numbers are actual numbers. I think right. we, we will be doing the behind the scenes, like most probably to start with the SQL queries, but we slap on this voice interface, you know, which um, turns that into the query behind the scenes and then stitches up the data with the, maybe the current conditions in the market, which comes from the uh, a gen AI model, which is real time or near real time. I think it's that stitching up is the trick, you know, so, but the data for a long time, I think for near future, certainly we'll be saving the you know, system of record data as we have been doing that, you know, so mm -hmm. we're not going to change that anytime soon. This yeah. And but I also weird. like believe that the way we persist data will change. The persistence layer in computing will change um, because the vector databases give us a mechanism to compress the data big time and we'll use a lot, lot less storage you know for I can see most that. of our data not that, all data but most of that's the next thing i think and there are uh there are 
organizations that are anticipating that already, that the the storage layer is going to be the next thing that really gets hit because all this work is going to create data, you know, spiral that, uh, you know, we think we have a lot of data now, <laughs> you know, once we, once we're at this for a couple of years, the amount of data as a result of analysis, new analysis that we're able to do will be staggering. And, you know, comparatively speaking, storage in the cloud has been pretty cost effective, but there's only so far you can get before the costs are really, you know, massive because you just the sheer, the sheer amount of data that you're, that you're storing. So I think that's uh a really interesting yeah. point about the vector, you know, the vector databases. But one one thing that I uh, noticed as they were talking that I I thought was interesting, and I'll, I don't know if they'll show further data about bearing this out, that Microsoft, the observation they made that 70% 70, 70 of people who interacted with co-pilots said that they were more productive with them. And 77% said that if they had their preference... They wouldn't. They wouldn't stop using them. In other words, they didn't want. If they had, a, if they had a choice, they would keep them. Which I thought it was funny. That's you know, seven percent more people said they wanted to hang on to them, and seventy percent said they were. They and I may be splitting hairs there because it sounds like there's seven percent that you know are still thinking like I. I know there's something I can do with this, and so they <laughs> they don't want to let it go. But uh, I do. I do find that really interesting because I think. Um, Almost the embarrassment of information we have at our fingertips and any traditional corporation is almost uh, prohibitive in terms of, you know, folks being able to do their work because there's so much that you can take into account. And so having a mechanism like this, like a co-pilot uh, to, to help you is really intriguing from that standpoint to, to stitch together the things that you shouldn't have to go ferret out. For oh, yeah, yeah, I think it makes an integration of systems uh, to get to the knowledge much more easier. Right now, as you know, like we had the data warehouses, right? Data lakes came later, you know, data warehouses, old term. So everything is getting dumped there. So just imagine all these systems dumping data there, and then there will be some kind of sophisticated sort of labeling, like who can access what, you know, um, on policy basis, you know, and then whoever is asking the question through voice or, you know, their portals or whatever, or your APIs, they have to pass on like who they are, right? We have to detect from the voice who is talking and stuff, right? Uh, ultimately, um, before we ask them, hey, tell me your password. It's a five, three, nine, whatever, right? <laughs> Somehow we, we have to qualify like who is asking and then give mm -hmm. them the answers. Yeah, definitely. On the data question, there's a philosophy thing I have, okay? It's very interesting to think about. So like traditionally we created the data, machines created some data logs and all that stuff. We wrote the code and the machines created it, but now, AI itself is generating a lot of data. That's right. So we fed that data, what we created to the AI and Gen AI, and then it, it has intelligence based upon that. Now AI itself is creating the output, right? In it's condensed and summarized for us and all that. Mm -hmm. Now, will we feed that into the next version of models, right? If we do, then it becomes an infinite loop 
a feedback loop. Keep feeding the same data back to the same beast, if you will. And that is something to ponder upon and think about. And I think in one of our episodes, we covered that if, if we are control of in the control of language, then that's a different situation versus if the machines create new language, if, if, if the intelligence comes from language, then we need to know who is control of in control of language, what came first language or intelligence mm-hmm. or there is cycle like it defeat each other. Yeah. So, yeah, very yeah really fascinating philosophy it, questions. Yeah, big questions. And it, you know, it does make me think back to, you know, a few years ago, I, when Tableau, Tableau on the whole from a visualization perspective was kind of the incumbent, but of course, Microsoft was pushing with Power BI and, and a lot of data scientists, a lot of individuals in analytics, regardless of what business unit they sat in, you know, customer experience was actually is a business unit that has a lot in the way of data science firepower because you have to know your customer to make them happy and every business lives to make a customer. So, um, you know, there tends to be a lot of investment there, but taking data without context and throwing it into a BI tool doesn't really help any because you don't, anybody, you don't know what you're looking at. And so it's really difficult to contextualize or interpret that data. And so I think we're obviously at a point where that data will be so well curated that information visually or otherwise will will do a lot of the interpreting for us and what you know kind of to your point those values that come out of that and the extent to which we shape those will be really really key moving forward you know the the co-pilots obviously could be a key key piece of that yeah and of course there will be a lot of dumb ai right as well <laughs> done mind yeah. that that some people will cook up some dumb stuff like hey give me the next month's sales right and people can hack into their systems and hit there goes your competitive advantage right ideally a, a good ai system is like a human being a smart human being you'll ask like if you ask like oh give me the, the next quarter sales it will ask you like who are you or you know uh which sales um, so the questions become more important than answers in, 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 in this world and good sort of, uh, you could say, uh, alignment of AI is where questions are qualified. So we keep yes. saying that we keep saying that like, you have to tell the, uh, open AI, you know, chat GPT three, four, four point five now, like, Hey, who I am. What, what, what's my age? Where do I live? What do I do day in, day out? How many, like you have to tell the, the AI, like your persona, right? So then it knows what to give you. So I think the, the one way to build security, uh, into these systems is to, to make sure the questions are, uh, coming from the right people and they are the people who should be asking those questions. Right. So the, the qualification context, if you will. I don't know if I'm that's interesting. Yeah, the almost the the idea of um, a directory approach from the standpoint and uh, like a persona or an identity and access management approach from who has the right to ask that question. That's a really Yeah, 
that'll be yeah that's a really interesting and it can it can a smart system can even ask a question hey what was what was the last month's um you know <laughs> what's the, what was the last hire in your organization they know that it's you really you <laughs> yeah. something like that Sarah, you know, like, you're not in hr you don't need to know yeah you know right. when we call our bank they ask you all these like last four of your social security number yeah. this and then when when the fraud people the best one is when the credit card companies fraud people call you mm -hmm. they say uh, tell me the last five transactions, and I go, oh God, <laughs> target. Where did I like? Then they try to qualify you. It's really you or not? So yeah, I think yeah, that's. I said yeah, I said a set of a set of security questions early on, on today. You know, what was the name of your second favorite pet? You know, I don't remember. I know. Yeah. So <laughs> secret yeah. here, like when they ask for the pet, you know, my answer is pet. <laughs> You know, so, so that I don't have to remember it. So what was your, like, a, uh, like what was your first dog's name or something? It was dog. It's dog, right? So, so I don't have to remember anything. I just, I, I just use their phrase as answer. Mm -hmm. Oh, gosh. No. Uh, going, going back to the co-pilot. So, you know, uh, reeling the conversation back in specifically to Microsoft, one of the things that I thought was most interesting was the, the the similarities in positioning with Copilot to Duet AI. So, you know, Google obviously had the floor earlier in the year because their event is first, and they've clearly made some significant investments with Duet AI. They have not relied on um, OpenAI, on ChatGPT, for the development of this, you know, this function, this this what's essentially a, a co-pilot with Duet AI. Um, a lot of it'll, you know, depend on usage in the Google workspace. They they talked about it quite a bit, but it seems like Microsoft has already rested the narrative uh, from, from them and that Duet AI didn't get a whole lot of attention. What do you, what do you make of all of that? Yeah, I call that OS advantage. Actually, uh, I have spoken about it like you said a few times, like in the last you know, five, six months, uh, companies which have the operating system, they have a huge advantage. That's Apple, that's Microsoft, mainly on the PC side, right? And Apple has two operating systems when they have uh, the Mac OS and they have iOS. Um, and Google has just the mobile OS, right? Uh, Android, right? Mm -hmm. And that too is open source, but still they, they sort of dominate that, if you will. But they don't have, okay, long time back when, when I was at EMC, they required, acquired a company and layers and I was sort of building services for that division. We realized, I realized like, of course, you know, sometimes things are so in your face, but you never pay attention to it. Like you're so immune to it. Like most of the product you will, will, will see, like there are some products which are um, transactional. Like we use it every day, every day, every day we interact with something like our, our operating system. We are there all the time when you're working. We are on Windows most of the time. Most of people, right? Like hardly, but very few people use Linux as their desktop, you know, or some people use Mac. Of course, that's another OS, right? So OS has huge advantage because you are in it all the time.
Hmm. Some other products are occasional use, like once a month, once a week, once a day. You know, the you use when you bring it out when you want to use it, right? So, and if if your product is sitting in those buckets where it's occasional use, then then your product will not fly. So you don't have that advantage, a gatekeeper. You're not. It's not a gatekeeper in a money money sense, right? what our FTC says gatekeepers right? but it, it's a gatekeeper access wise like oh you're get we have I have to go through you to get to my stuff people have to launch windows to do google search right so that is um that is I think the the trick why google stuff is not flying and also they they did they had some missteps like I I signed up for their early access thing what they started doing was they well, I will do a Google search and then they will one fourth of the page will be painted with uh, like a Gen AI response. Like I don't need I, when I was doing search, they didn't they didn't know. They didn't ask me, do I need Gen AI response or search? Right. They give me both. But now, actually, for the last two, three days, they have said, OK, if you want Gen AI, click here, uh, response, click here. That makes sense to me. So I think they will learn. Another thing is that they don't have a access to the builders as well as much as Microsoft does through VS code right so VS code is the editor very one of the hot editors out there so I think proximity to developers on one side is is important and on the other side operating having a operating system and some good SaaS you know which Google does have it but again, Google is not telling the story the way Microsoft is. Microsoft is running ahead of the story, ahead of the capabilities, right? And and Google is being very, being very, you can say, humble, or in other words, timid, you know, in the messaging. Yeah, yeah I agree. And uh, two two other areas of gravity besides the operating system are the productivity suite. So my, like Microsoft 365 versus Google Workspace. So like Google Docs and Google Sheets and, you know, calendar and all that stuff. And then of course the browser. So a lot of people do use Chrome. And so, you know, Chrome extensions for Duet and AI and, and things like that might, might make sense. But in your day-to-day, -day, both, you know, as a worker and, and potentially as a, as a, you know, private individual, you're probably using Microsoft and have been using it for quite some time, you know, using Outlook and using all the attendant, you know, applications like Excel and, and Word and things like that. And, you know, OneNote, uh, you know, Lens, even if you have documents that you have to scan, send yeah. and get, you know, sent off somewhere. And so, you know, having that gravity you know, I, one of the things that I, occurred to me as I was watching some of the Duet AI demos is they were in the Google workspace. And so they were very cool, but I don't use Google Calendar really that much, you know, especially in the way they were demoing it within uh, the browser. I, you know, it's just not a workflow that I, I tend to lean on. Um, and so, you know, in addition to the operating system, I would say that the the browser gravity is not sufficient to overcome, you know, potentially their productivity suite gravity, which, you know, for most people in the workplace is dictated to them, you know, and even in their personal life, they've been habituated to something. Um, for, for 
consumer, you know, so for commercial, you know, direct to consumer, more people probably use G Suite, but uh, those aren't necessarily the folks who I see really going after Duet AI for, you know, maybe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. I I think, Mm -hmm. I think you're spot on. Uh, the points you have raised actually they they are related to how you do the sort of uh, user persona segment right mm-hmm. segmentation so people who are using your stuff a lot they may not be able to pay you a lot right that's the trick right so google has that long tail of users they say oh we have four billion people using search every day which is crazy number so um and by the way on the side note the it was exposed that they pay i think 35 or something i tweeted about it like whatever the number came out from the court documents they pay 30 plus percent to apple uh for being the default search on uh, in safari browser right Mm -hmm. so google pays them so um yeah it's they are again they are relying on an operating company which owns the operating system so i think that's a that's the biggest thing is that and and your points are valid as well so yeah yeah really interesting it'll be for me um so in that sense again kind of going back to our point about omissions there wasn't as much about the cloud per se but from a workflow perspective there are obvious you know implication although i you know i will say from a from a cost management and a you know an optimization perspective there's a long tail there too because um i think llm driven cloud optimization is around the corner as well so that'll be interesting to see uh what that looks like yeah definitely uh, just keep another side notice that people need to keep in mind that like okay there's open ai model is that is like okay that sounds like google search like like when it comes to ai you by default go to open ai's models right like but but uh google has barred right and then i think facebook's llama 2 llama 3 llama 4 they will be much more better um they are at par with other two as well so and that that's gaining a lot more traction because it's open source. Google yes. is not open source. So Llama two is going to I think kill in long term, in medium term I would say not even long term, the open AI sort of way of doing things um, because everybody's weaving that into their marketplace, their you know model. Uh, Mart, if you will, <laughs> AWS is doing that. You know, Facebook is doing that now. They announced it, so they will have Llama too. So maybe that's why the contention is there. By the way, um, OpenAI did a event like um, after we did the last episode, right? In in San Francisco, they did their uh, OpenAI Developer Day, and Satya Nadella was there on stage uh, with Sam Altman. And if you know, if you watch, if you watch that video, um, that segment only, maybe uh, if you have less time, where Satya was on stage, Sam Altman was like, was trying to just shush him, like get off the stage. He was like very hasty <laughs> when he was talking. I was like, what is going on here? And then 
of course we know that there's contention between two companies because sam altman's biggest goal is to get to agi you know uh, for like mimicking human thinking yes just replacing humans right so that's his passion but his passion is not commercialization of he doesn't even have shares in the company you know it's kind of funny how that works so the he's a founder of the company right but on the other side, Satya Nadella wants to commercialize everything, every little piece, you know, of it, right? So there's a contention there. Another pat- pattern which tells us there's uh, uh, some rift there is that Satya Nadella was at a OpenAI conference, but but uh, Sam Altman was not in Seattle for that's right for Ignite MS Ignite, <laughs> but uh, Jensen was <laughs> Jensen the ubiquitous was Jensen. He made it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, I, uh, my bet is that I was trying to bet with people like, will Jensen be at uh, AWS reinvent? I think he probably will be there, but we'll, we'll see. I almost think he has to be because otherwise, it's an omission of a, of colossal proportions. Because he came to Google next. Yeah. He's now been to Ignite, and for him not to be at AWS reInvent yes. would be a little awkward. But then, you know, as a cloud provider, AWS is the, you know, 800-pound gorilla in the room, so they may not feel like they need that blessing. Um, you know, they have, I mean, they're, they have instances that are coming out for the H100. So, you know, it's not like that they're not, they're not playing well together, but I think because they've been in the semiconductor game a little longer, Tranium has a little more bite to it than Microsoft's Maya does. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah, it'll be wa- it'll be interesting to watch Jensen um, navigate that. But you know, like Andy, uh, Andy Jassy um, from AWS, he was running AWS. Now he's uh, CEO of uh, Amazon. He he says that there's no no alternate for uh, there's no compression algorithm for uh, experience right so mm-hmm. experience matters so they just microsoft just launched uh, their their chips right but which will come on, come on next year but aws has been doing for a while so they have gained some knowledge you know what to do what not to do you know uh, so definitely i think that that experience matters okay let, let's let's wrap up like last last few points about the Microsoft went right. Mm-hmm. MS Ignite. I think the the one thing was, uh, and then we'll do wrap around actually for yeah. our viewers of listeners that that <laughs> what happened and they can take a look at those things, whatever pertains to them, right? So uh, to hold okay, there's there was a lot of like oh, we are Ging this, we are Ging that, like that's what that was happening a lot in in Satya's uh, keynote, but then he also had this bait. For people to hang on to Microsoft for futuristic um, sort of things, like he said, um, the arc of innovation under that sort of topic. He said AI and AI plus mixed reality is very like a juicy thing they are working on. So they are spending a lot of RD R and D money on that. And AI plus quantum. He also um, mentioned that. Mm-hmm. That, that was like stay here stay with us we are working on some other stuff as well so like that was the message another clever thing he said was with uh on cnbc interview 
he said we have been moved we have moved from the relational algebra to neural algebra so yeah so like you know system of record to um, these uh, ai systems of differentiation you can call it communication mm -hmm. so the the proximity of you know uh, words to each other and ideas to each other so he, that was a clever statement actually he made he comes prepared actually not most of the time i have so many notes actually i'll skip that so people okay. can watch it draw their own conclusions but i want to i want to mention these few events for people to pay attention to just in case they missed it open ai event last week uh, just watch their video open ai developer day that was good thing to watch kubecon north america open source crowd was gathered there not much new the main thing was that uh or open source folks are behind in ai ai is not in their grasp right now so which is understandable ibm ai research day happened you know if you're ibm enthusiast you know take a look github event github uh, did their uh, annual event here in san francisco that was good it's a microsoft company as we talked about that earlier so they have a new co-pilot which is 39 dollars it will be released next year it's much more you can train that with your own code actually that's what it is dell part dell and cisco both did their partner summits vmware explorer was happening in spain incremental stuff you know take a look at that if you're interested in vmware stack nvidia's new china chips we didn't talk we should I want to hear from you like what do you think about that we were bankruptcy was in the news new ai pin from humane was there a mm -hmm. um, lot of earnings yesterday's earnings we can't cover all the earnings of course although otherwise it would be like 30 minutes more episode yesterday's earnings were cisco and palo alto networks and um, they both uh, gave warning they beat on eps and earnings but they gave warning for the future their stocks dipped 12 to 10 percent both for both of them i haven't checked today what, what's happening but you know take a look at the the earnings are a proxy sort of proxy for which vendor is gaining traction which technology is gaining traction or whatnot so coming back to nvidia's new chips are they trying to circumvent the ban uh, chinese ban or no yeah i would i mean i would say it's pretty evident that they're at least trying to uh skirt that and uh you know my my hot take is in a sense they can't be blamed and the real the reason is because from a market perspective when in a a production and a consumption perspective by the time a, a semiconductor hits the market almost 50 percent of them have touched china in some way they've either been produced in china packaged in china they've come through China in some way. And so there's the issue of output. Then there's the issue of selling back into that market. It's one of the most lucrative markets in the world. It's a very populous country. And despite rigorous, oppressive oversight, there's, there's still a healthy consumer population there who, like most people in the world in, in developing and in, in, in you know, advanced countries want technology. And so um, for NVIDIA to want to target <clears throat> that market potentially with something specialized, I can't blame them for, um, you know, for, for those of you who might remember, 
you know, Sarpjit, you mentioned Jensen's talk at, um, I think that was at Harvard Business School, kind of talking about the broader implications of, you know, potentially the the sanctions on on China and what that the human, means for uh, he, he tied it to the human mm -hmm. human rights. Human rights. It was a university in New York. Yeah, and I thought I thought that was interesting. I will I will say that as silicon goes, Nvidia is kind of your Rolex. It is not it is not a you know it is not a a kind of Kmart purchased, you know, digital watch that you got for for your kid to kind of play around with. It's a, it's a Rolex product. So to talk about it in the context, you know, catching it as a human rights issue is a little bit rich to me because, you know, it's a it's a premium, you know, essentially luxury product that even a lot of corporations are hard pressed to take afford no it, it showed his but, frustration it showed yeah. his frustration and mad, like he was mad about it yeah yeah definitely. but i do think i do think from a broader <clears throat> tangled tangled web issue we this has been decades in the making this will be decades in the the untangling and and so i i do think that nvidia is i can sympathize with them for trying to figure out a way forward that doesn't cut the China market out completely because that's that's uh that's tough. So yeah, what do you I think, think one Chinese newspaper which publishes in English actually in China, they they said that Nvidia uh, and and US government is in catch me if you can game. Mm -hmm. You know, like okay, I will make the new chip by the time you will figure out if you want to ban it or not, I will make another new one. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and I, you know, and this is this is coming from a, you know, for me, coming from a place of vehement, vehement, vehement disagreement with the with the CCP. I, I could not uh, object to the way they handle things more strongly, but they are not, you know, representative of the, the everyday you know, people who want to go about doing their work and exploring just like anybody else. Um, so it's really, you know, it's a challenging. Yeah. On that note, actually, sure. mm -hmm. yeah, on that note, I don't, I don't want to miss something big happening in San Francisco this week. Um, there's, uh, uh, Asia Pacific, uh, economic sort of event development forum happening here in San Francisco. Z Ping. Ping is coming. Mm -hmm. He's here, um, like in our neck of words. And so is, uh, um, our president and Biden. So they met yesterday and uh, they're, they're going to do a press conference today. I think it's not his state visit from Chinese uh, premier, but uh, interesting uh, stuff like they cleaned up Ch downtown and there was a lot in local news. Like, hey, they just took some, took all these people who were doing drugs on the main street, like uh, on the market, and they shoved them somewhere for a few days and there are red borderlines around like, okay, and you, you can be searched anytime in that zone. Actually, I was thinking about going there and <laughs> just seeing. Then he said, okay, no, I don't want to go. But it's very interesting. Like the, the, it's a big thing, actually. I didn't know that UNO was uh, announced in San Francisco, the last big event since that. And this is the, I think this is the next big event, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, 
because contentions are there between China and US and and Biden has called um, uh, Chinese premier a dictator. And he said that even after meeting him yesterday, he said, I still stick to my point. He's a dictator. And I'm like, what? This is not how you um, solve problems by calling your people you're meeting <laughs> like dictator. Well, yeah, interesting uh, things to watch between China and US. Very much so. Uh, so, well, thanks for the great conversation as always, Sarpjeet. Um, you know, as always, listeners, let us know what feedback you have. We appreciate it. And we're grateful for your hanging with us. Thanks, Sarah. I know you are under the weather a little bit and uh, hanging through and yeah. <laughs> while, while you were sneezing. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my pleasure. All right. Thanks. Thanks, guys, for listening. Thanks for listening to For Instance Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show today. If you did, please feel free to leave us a five-star review on iTunes or Spotify. When we're not recording, you can find Sarbjeet reacting to and discussing current enterprise tech news on Twitter or X. His handle is at Sarbjeet Joal. And you can find me, Sarah Music, on LinkedIn, interacting with tech news or occasionally posting a literature quote. We welcome your feedback and we'll see you next time.